Welcome and thank you for taking the time to listen to the Word of God released through Randolph Barnwell. Randolph is the founder and senior elder of Gate Ministries Durban Central. Be encouraged to access free additional resources for your edification at randolphbarnwell.com. Great grace, peace and mercy from Christ be multiplied to you as you listen to this teaching. I want to just continue the series that we've started now on kingdom economics. And like I say, I've started this at the command of the Lord. I started this at the leading of the Lord. It's not because I want to. It's because God is telling me to. We have a prophetic destiny confirmed by two independent prophetic voices that we will be financially successful. We have the authority of God's word that all sons of God should be blessed. And that, according to Matthew 6, you will be adequately taken care of in this life. And according to 1 Peter, he will give you everything for life and for godliness. So no son of God need ever live in the realm of lack. No son of God need ever live in the lack of not in the land of not enough or just enough. But God wants to give you more than enough, right? So um, there are three phases, the land of not enough, which many people are living in, the land of just enough, where it is from hand to mouth, barely surviving. And there's another place called more than enough, okay? Egypt could be akin to the land of not enough. The wilderness journeys for 40 years could be likened unto the phase of just enough, where manna, enough manna fell every day to sustain them just for that day, and they could not collect more than what was sufficient for the day. But when they crossed the Jordan and they went into the promised land, remember what God told them in the book of Deuteronomy, the land I give you and the land that you are entering into is a land flowing. Everyone say flowing. So it's a land flowing, not the terminologies that God used. And I will talk more on this concept of milk and honey later in the series. God used specific language because he had a very clear intent in mind. It's a land flowing with milk and honey. He also said to them, the land that you are entering into is not like the land that you come out from. In Egypt, he said, you watered your land by a system of Egyptian irrigation. In terms of the language used in the King James Version, God said, you watered your land with your feet. So the Egyptians had a complex system of irrigation where they would siphon water out from the Nile, which basically is the only source of water, to various parts. And to get water there, they would, by a system of pumps that had to be manually operated with the feet, so there was this action to pump water from one place to the other. It was an Egyptian concept that Israel came into. So God had to alter their mindset and say, where you are going to, you're not going to need that. God says, you watered it with your feet. A reference to the Egyptian system of irrigation. But God said, the land I am taking you into will be watered by your God from the heavens. So you needn't rely on earthly systems of water supply, I will supernaturally supply it from the, from the heavens. And it says Egypt was a land of, uh, um, it was basically static, it was lateral. But the land that you are going to is a land of hills and 
of hills and valleys. So there's adventure, um, there's, there's change, there's difference, etc. And I want to say that prophetically to us, I, I say to you as we embark and continue on the series, that if you're in just enough, God wants to take you out of there. Especially, nobody should be in not enough. If you're in the land of not enough, God wants you out of there in Jesus' name. If you're in the land of just enough, God wants you out of there. God wants you to have more than enough. I think prosperity is enough to have enough for your basic needs and wants and to have enough left over to bless others with, whereby you don't compromise your present welfare, but you give. You give abundantly. Now, we're gonna, I will explain these concepts as we go along. So last week, we basically sculpted God's intent for wealth creation. Deuteronomy 8.18, as Mark said, The Lord your God giveth thee the power to get wealth. And we must remember Him, lest we forget that when we get the wealth, we forget the purpose why He gave us the wealth. And according to Deuteronomy 8.18, He said, It's to establish His covenant. What's the purpose of money? What's the purpose of excess money? What's the purpose of having more than enough? Everyone said to establish His covenant. And I said to you, what is the covenant of God? The covenant of God concerns impacting the world redemptively for God. God's covenant is this, to raise up a people in His image and likeness, sons of God all over the earth, save them, reach the lost, and then teach the lost by maturing them into the ways of God such that they become mature sons which are able to steward their inheritance and administrate God's vast purposes all over the earth. Everyone say maturity. So to save people, yes, let them enter the kingdom and then to mature them in the ways of Christ so that those sons can impact the world redemptively in every sphere wherever they wherever they are. Now, if you don't have that as the ultimate, highest priority in all your endeavors in life, then God cannot give you resource because He knows you're going to abuse and misuse the resource and it will not be used for its intended end. It will not be used for its intended end. Now, please know this. When God blesses you, indeed you will be blessed and indeed you will be well taken care of and you will enjoy it. But at your heart of hearts, you are, you are wired like this. God bless me so I can facilitate kingdom purpose in the earth. God bless me so I can push purpose. Now, one thing that you must ratify in your heart immediately throughout the series. I want to get you into the place of where you become, where your giving capacity increases. But receive your wood. Everyone say, receive you would. You're going to be some of the greatest receivers of blessing. But my position is this. It is more blessed to, to give than to receive. A lot of uh, kingdom economics teachings on finance, etc. have only the motive of, we're going to discuss this so we know how to get more. How we can be the recipients of blessings. But if you don't understand the nature of God as a giving God, as a generous, as a benevolent God. I'm going to talk more about that on Wednesday. You're going to miss the whole point of this, this series. Yeah? 
Remember, God is a giver at heart. He's generous at heart. If you just think of the earth, think of how beautiful this planet is, eh? Isn't God bountifully rich? Think of the vastness, the, the sheer grandeur of the earth and the rest of the solar system, the stars and all the galaxies. God is a God of huge abundance. And He desires to share that with man. You know, He, he took five days or six days to create environment. And then He put man there. He made the heavens and the earth. Then He put man. Uh, the, the heavens and the earth lose relevance without man. The only reason why they exist is because God had us in mind. He created context, he created environment, a heaven from which he would rule and expedite his purposes, and earth as the venue. Tell your neighbor the venue is earth. This is nothing more than a venue. You know when you have a function? You look for a venue to host whatever you're doing. God uses earth as a venue to host his purposes and to demonstrate his nature. But he gives man custody of that. And when I look at the vastness and the richness of the earth, I think, my God, our Father is rich, our Father is bountiful, He's benevolent, and He's very giving in nature. God is not a withholding God. God is a very generous and He's, He's a giving God. Now, if we as His sons in the earth, as the venue, in time and space, that are to demonstrate in our mentality, in our spirit, we have to adopt the same nature as Him. The same nature as Him. So I want to encourage you to practice giving. In the series, just for your information, we'll talk about giving and receiving. Everyone say giving and receiving. Those are two dynamics that you must master. How to give and how to receive. Right? We'll talk about stewardship. Everyone say stewardship. Financial stewardship is a key component of kingdom economics. How to manage, how to administrate finances. In stewardship, we'll, we'll speak about debt reduction and ultimately debt eradication altogether. Amen? Tell you that we're going to be debt-free in Jesus' name. Yeah? And you will have enough to do your business and God's business. I believe that with all of my heart. Uh, Barnabas had no problem selling a property and taking all the, the money and placing it at the apostles' feet. What do feet do? Feet walk. So he didn't put it into the apostles' hand. He put it at the apostles' feet. His mindset, remember the church was a new thing in his day. Holy Ghost fell in Acts. Church was, was manifest. This new thing, the people of the way they were called, these Christians so-called, sons of God popping up all over the place. He said, wow, what's this new thing? Remember he was a Levi. Barnabas the, he was Levite. Right? His name was Le from the tribe of Levi. So he knew the system of, of the priesthood. What is this new thing as compared to the Old Testament, Mosaic, Covenant, and, 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 and order? Something new. And when he had a revelation of it, he said, I will finance it. I have no problems giving my money to the apostles' feet to push apostolic endeavors. I'm going to discuss Barnabas in detail later on. But I want to encourage you. Um, if you don't have a revelation of purpose, God will never give you great funds to steward. Tell your neighbor, be purpose-oriented. Be purpose-oriented. Last week I said to you, 
If money cannot flow through you, God will never give it to you. If God gives it to you and it dams up and stops with you, God says, there's a limitation in which I can give this brother or this family funds to steward. You must be a conduit. You mustn't be a dam and hold things up. I'm practicing it now. I try to practice um, generous giving as often as I can. What am I doing? I'm practicing the nature of practicing the nature of God within us. Amen. But I want to encourage you to adopt a giving nature. We will talk about financial stewardship and debt reduction as well later on. And God's end time purposes for wealth. Listen carefully. Something we're going to do later on is this. I will demonstrate to you using eight or nine case studies how that, eight or nine case studies, how that, listen carefully, the destiny of people in Scripture was largely determined by their attitude to money. And I'll prove this to you. A person's attitude to finance and how they steward it, whether they gave or simply a lack of good stewardship, either catapulted them further into the destiny that God had for them, or it aborted destiny right there and then. And on Wednesday, I'll start to speak about this. But you can only serve one of two masters. It's either God or mammon. What's the opposite of what? Tall? Fat? Boy? God? No opposite to God. Don't even say the devil. The devil can't even... He does, God has got no opposites. But the only thing in Scripture that has the potential to rival the place of God in your life is money. And Jesus said it like this, Matthew 6, 24, No man can serve two masters. He either loves the one and hates the other, despises the one, hold on to the, one, to, to, to the other, and he says you cannot serve both God and Mammon, you cannot serve both God and the spirit that controls men through the medium of money. Okay, and we'll discuss that in greater detail. Now, I want to encourage you just quickly before we get into all of that. When you were saved, God rescued you out of the kingdom of darkness and you were translated into the kingdom of his dear son. You left the kingdom of this world or the domain of Satan and you were transferred into the kingdom of of God or the kingdom of his son. There are three levels of kingdom appropriation. It's seeing, entering, and inheriting the kingdom. John 3, 3, let's have a look at it. John 3, 3, 3 to 5, just quickly. This session is basically still, we're still in foundations regarding the issues of kingdom economics. Jesus answered and said to him, Truly, truly, I say to you, unless one is born again, he cannot do what? He won't say, see the kingdom. So that see the kingdom is having sight of it or having perspective of it or perception of it. Do you know there are many people that don't have kingdom perception or kingdom perspective? The unsaved don't know what the kingdom is. They can't even see it or comprehend it in the mind. That your life has been changed, you've given your heart to Jesus, and you're living by different principles to them. Your spatial sphere of existence is not this world. You are in it, but you are not part of it. You're in the world, not part of it. 
And unless God opens your eyes to the born-again experience, that you cannot see. And then in verse 5, in verse 5, Jesus answered, Truly, truly, I say to you, unless one is born of water and of the Spirit, he cannot enter the, the kingdom of God. So Jesus here speaks of kingdom entrance. It's kingdom sight. You cannot see the kingdom. Yeah, you cannot enter the kingdom. Now let me just say this. When you got saved and you said to, to the Lord Jesus, come into my heart. I give you my heart. You're my Lord and my Savior. God literally, according to Colossians 1.13, transferred you out from the kingdom of darkness into the kingdom of His dear Son. But sight, listen carefully, sight and entrance into the kingdom has got initial and progressive elements to it. You've entered the kingdom you're in, but because you're in doesn't mean you fully entered it. You can be in, yet not fully embrace it. You, you, you saw it when you heard the gospel message, and you've entered it by surrendering your heart to the Lord, and that was your initial encounter. I'm suggesting those two processes, there's initial and progressive elements to seeing and entering the kingdom, it will progress in time until you ultimately inherit the kingdom. Right? So, even salvation. Salvation has got past, present, and future elements to it. Not so? The Bible says, He has redeemed us. The scripture says, He doth redeem us. The Bible also says, He will yet redeem us. How does this take place? If I get saved now, right? I said, Lord, come into my heart, change me. What gets saved? My spirit gets regenerated immediately. I'm spirit, soul, and I am body. Three parts to me, spirit, soul, and body. When I said yes to the Lord, He put His spirit into my spirit. He, re he regenerated my spirit rather. Right? I am being, my spirit is saved. My soul is being saved daily and progressively uh, as I constantly hear the word of the Lord. Romans 12 verse 1 and 2 says, I beseech you, brethren, by the mercies of God that you present your bodies, a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable unto God, which is your reasonable service or spiritual service of worship. Verse 2 says, and do not be what? Conform to this world, but be transformed how? Now your mind is part of your soul. Your mind is part of your soul. How does transformation come? By the renewing of the mind. Okay? By the renewing of the mind so that you might prove what the will of God is, that which is good, acceptable, and perfect. So listen carefully. Um, your spirit has been saved. Your soul is being saved. And your body will yet be saved. Do you know your body is not yet saved? Right? It awaits, the Bible according to 1 Corinthians 15 says, it awaits the redemption. Right? We still get sick and we will all die. Until those two processes are thoroughly reversed, the body waits for its redemption. It's called immortality. We will be immortal one day. We will never get sick, never die, never age. Right? That's the kind of body that Jesus had when he was raised from the dead. You have been saved your spirit, you are being saved, your soul, your mind. And you see, the more your mind is transformed by the word of God or renewed by the word of God, the greater the extent of your 
physical transformation in this life. Right? The most mature people are those who allow their souls to be renewed by the Word of God and experience the transformation. Then, and your body awaits redemption. Okay? Your body awaits redemption. Similarly with the kingdom, sight and entrance into the kingdom has past, present, and future elements to it. You get saved. You saw the kingdom. The lights come on. Wow! Didn't realize I needed to be saved. I thought me doing my own thing in the world was the thing. Now I see, wow, this thing is the reality. Salvation is real. I saw the kingdom. I took the initial steps. I said, Lord, I'm sorry for my son. I entered. Now having entered, just watch. The Bible says, according to Ephesians 1.18, that the eyes of your under, everyone say understanding. It does not say I. Plural, eyes of your understanding, being enlightened. Do you know you have multiple eyes in your understanding, but some of them are still darkened. But what happens is, the more, what is the word? It's not the word light. And what does the Bible say? The entrance of the word brings? And understanding, right? It brings light and understanding to the simple. So what happens if I'm under the sound of God's word, someone's preaching, someone's teaching, guess what? Why do you have to come to church every, time, every, every week? Why must you read your Bible every day? Light comes into, watch, the darkened areas of your soul, and God turns the light on in a specific eye. So, wow. For example, let's say someone hurts you, and you're angry. I want revenge. I'm, gonna, I'm waiting for them. I'm going to do them in, right? You come to church, and your pastor says, you must learn how to forgive. And I show you from the scripture, the light. When the light of the truth of forgiveness hits the grudge and the anger in your soul, guess what? You have a decision. Will I continue there or will I take this light, let it change my soul, walk out there and live differently, right? Or will I allow this? Just go back to Romans 12 verse 2. Or will I, will I allow the world to conform me? It says, be not conformed to this world. Do you know what this world's agenda is? To conform you to its principles. There's a war, there's a tussle between. Jesus said, you are in the world, but you are not part of the world. The Son of God, who has transferred kingdoms from out of the kingdom of darkness into the kingdom of his dear Son, must make a decision. I'm in this realm that is trying to squeeze me into its mold. Another ver version says, the world is trying to squeeze you into its mold. The world has a mold for you that you must not submit to. Yes. Say that to someone. The world has a mold for you that you must not submit to. And I'll show you how all this relates to finance in a moment. I'm setting you up for something. Listen carefully. The world has a mold for you, even financially, that you must not submit to. But you must rather say, watch I would rather live by the kingdom of God's standards rather than by the, the world's standards. To live by the kingdom of God's standards in His Word is going to take revelation. The lights have to come on in the area of my soul. Yes, first my spirit and then my soul. Okay, I'm trying to summarize 18 sessions here of the spiritual man. There's a CD there, two CDs. There's about 20-somewhat sessions called The Spiritual Man, where I talk about spirit, soul, and body, and how do we operate. You must listen to that when you get the time, okay? Now, 
that is very, very important. When, um, obviously, watch, the more word I receive, the more light, the more I adjust my life to comply with God's standards. So I obey God and not allow the world to squeeze me into its pattern of life and behavior. I grow. I start maturing. Guess what? I see the kingdom more and more. And I'm beginning, to, I'm beginning to enter kingdom reality more and and more. Okay? And ultimately, in Matthew 25, it says, on the day of, of judgment, Jesus would say to us, Come, you chosen of my Father. Inherit the kingdom prepared for you from before the foundation of the world. I believe kingdom inheritance is a progressive reality, but it will actualize at a point in in time, but it's something towards which we are moving. You see a whole bunch of scriptures like no murderer, no fornicator, no backbiter will ever inherit the kingdom. Right? So we must be kingdom compliant. Now, I want to just, just to prove this to you, and I want to refer, I have Sean's manual here. Remember the manual on kingdom economics? Yeah? And there's a section here where he said on kingdom entrance. Remember? And the first requirement for kingdom entrance was righteousness. Remember? I'm going to read to you this. I won't comment because of time. I want to get to something else. Matthew 5.20, I say to you, unless your righteousness exceeds the righteousness of the Pharisees and the scribes, you will by no means enter the kingdom. Now, question, are you righteous? Come on, are you righteous? Yes, please. You must be confident about your salvation. I'm asking again, are you righteous? Yes. Whose righteousness do you have? The right, you are the righteousness of God in Christ Jesus. Not so. But you know what 1 John says? 1 John says, who is righteous except he that practices righteous, righteousness? So we are righteous by virtue of his work in us. And because of that, we are empowered by grace to live righteously and to practice righteousness. So, for example, just, just as an example of how that, although you've entered the kingdom, yes, I'm saved, Woo, I'm in the kingdom, hallelujah. I have the righteousness of God in Christ, I'm, I'm born again. But now I must do the right thing. Jesus said, yeah, you, your righteousness is prerequisite to entering the kingdom. You have entered, but your entering is a continuous, progressive thing. Yeah? And just quickly, I won't go through all of this because of time. He then said, the second requirement was be there doing the will of the Father. Remember? Matthew 7, 21. Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom, but they that do the will. Tell your neighbor, do the will. So do you know what? Every time you're in a quandary, my will versus God's will. What I want to do versus what God wants me to do. And you say, Father, I choose your way. I'm doing the will of my Father. Do you know what? You're progressively entering the kingdom. You're in, but you're entering in further. Yeah? And then C, condition three, attitude of a child. Everyone say a child. Matthew 18, 1 to 4. At that time, the disciples came to Jesus saying, Who is the greatest in the kingdom of heaven? Who wants to be great in the kingdom? And what did Jesus say? Jesus called a little child to him set them in the midst of them and said, Assuredly, I say to you, unless, you're, unless you become converted as little children, you will by no means enter the kingdom. What's the requirement for entering the kingdom? According to this verse, 
childlikeness. You know, ch- childlikeness is they just believe. Tell your neighbor, just believe. Huh? You're going to be challenged throughout the series. And I'm saying to you, when you hear the principles of God's word, just believe like a little child would. If you're going to be a rebellious and argumentative about principles that can be proven to be true from God's word relative to kingdom finance, and you don't try in childlike fashion to say, I will do it, Lord, this level of blessing economically will not come to you because you're too big about it. You need to come down. Tell never come down as a child. Come down as a child, right? Come down as a child. So while, let me just say this, while some of you are going to be working this out rationally, some of you are going to be obeying principles and experiencing the blessing. Because you simply are, listen, don't be gullible. I'm not calling for gullibility and everything you hear is disbelief. No, that's one economy, but there's a difference between that and simply believing God like a child. Stop the rational argument and simply believe God like a child and see what God will will do and see what God uh, will do in and through you. Fourth requirement was freedom from the control of the material world, right? And exhibiting a spirit of difference. The text here, Matthew 19, 23 to 24. Jesus said to his disciples, Assuredly, I say to you, it is hard for a rich man to enter the kingdom of heaven. Huh? Everyone say enter. Jesus says, Rich man, hard. You want this thing we're talking about? Entering the kingdom? He says, for the rich, hard. Now, he says, I say to you, it is easier for a camel to go to the eye of a needle than for a rich man to enter the kingdom of heaven. And remember in Matthew 3, he said, Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the, the kingdom of heaven. I'm going to talk later, a whole session on materialism and covetousness. I will demonstrate to you from the scripture, if you are materialistically minded and covetousness driven, that you will never ever come to a place in God where you will steward your finances in any way that will be pleasing to God. Those two spirits are antagonistic to generosity. Yeah? In fact, do you know, I know in some churches and in some quarters, you can teach sowing and reaping with a covetous motivation. So you only reap to sow to feed your material greed. And you never understand the purpose for which uh, God has for your money. Remember the rich young ruler came to Jesus and asked Jesus, what must I do to inherit? Eternal life. Notice he's rich and he's young. Immature but very rich. What Jesus said to him. Jesus asked him, uh, what do the commandments say? And then six commandments are listed. I'll show you. Six of the ten are listed. You know what the young man said? All these I have kept, very boasting, all these I have kept since my youth. Then what Jesus says, okay, no problem. Go sell all you have and give to the poor. You want me, you want me to be Lord of your life? Let me be Lord of your finances first. If you want, you want true lordship, God wants you to be lord of your money. Yeah? You know what the Bible says? And his countenance dropped. He became sad, and the Bible says, 
and he walked away for he had great possessions. Do you know which commandment Jesus never mentioned? He only listed six. He left out the commandment, thou shalt not covet. What was this young man's problem? Covetousness, accumulation, materialism. Me, myself, and I, my family, and nobody else I'm concerned about. Right? And the Bible, see what the Bible says? Did Jesus run after you? Hey, did Jesus do that? What the Bible says? Jesus, I like what Mark says, Jesus loved him, but let him go. Letting you, like in that context, he let him go because, and he never ever became a follower of Jesus. For our context, he will never leave you. God will never forsake you if you are his son. I want to show everybody. I don't want anybody to be condemned. God will never forsake you. But there's a certain realm you'll never come into if you're not willing to say, not my will, but your will be done. Okay? So I pray that you will deal with the, with the, with the inclination to be overtly materialistic. Yeah? And overtly covetous. Right? Don't be covetous. And don't be overtly materialistic. God wants us to have nice things. Just by the way. Tell your neighbor, God wants you to have nice things. Yes, we want to enjoy life. I believe that. God God wants us. But Paul also said, I have learned in whatsoever state I find myself, there were to be content. He says, I know how to abound and how to be abased. But I've learned that godliness with contentment is great gain. Yeah. So in every, you know, I want the best for you. I really do. That's the cry of my heart. And I'm telling you by faith, brethren, stick with me in the series. By the end of July, we want to wrap it up and go on to something else. Stick with me in the series. Plug into the principles. Every time I share a principle, receive the grace to obey it. You know, the only time God ever says to man is, test me. is in the matter of finance. Only time he says, hey, I'm daring you. Live by my principles and see. The world wants to squeeze you into its mold. But you're in the world, but you're not part of the world. You're part of a kingdom. The world has an economic policy. My kingdom has an economic policy too. Which policy will you subscribe to? Will you allow the pressure of the world's policy to, to make you disobedient to my methodology? It's all about to the degree that you've seen. Listen. Everyone say, see the kingdom. Say, enter the kingdom. To the degree that you have sight, you will enter. To the degree that your perspective is enlarged, so will you boldly go where you've never gone before in terms of levels of obedience in obeying kingdom principles. Why did Jacob tithe? I taught you this last week. Why did he tithe in Genesis 28? What did he see? He saw a ladder. Right? On the earth and the top reaching the heavens. And the Lord standing at the top. Angels ascending and descending. He was fearful. He awoke from the dream. What did he call the name of that place? Bethel. Say Bethel. What does Bethel mean? House of God. What's the house of God? The church of God. When he saw Bethel, he said to the Lord, Whatever you give me, I will surely give a tenth to you. His tithe was the result of a revelation of the house of God. You don't tithe because people manipulate you. You don't tithe because you need a 10-minute motivational talk on finances to encourage you to give. You tithe out of a raw, innate revelation 
of what God means to you and what His house, the church, means to you. Amen? Hallelujah. So tell your neighbor, tithe out of sight. So we, we tithe out of perspective. So let us say, see the kingdom and enter it. Then Sean also mentioned, just in closing, there's m- many others here, but I need to get back to my notes. Removal of offense. Remember what Jesus said? Um, if your eye causes you to sin, pluck it out. It is better for you to enter the kingdom with one eye rather than to have two eyes and to be cast into hellfire. So if your eye offends, in other words, if there's offense in your eye, offense can prevent you from kingdom entrance. So, that's, so if I can learn to master relationships, forgive easily, guess what? I'm entering. Right? I'm entering. And then the new birth, and also tribulation. The Bible says, through much tribulation must we enter. But didn't you enter when you got saved? Yes. But the scripture also says, but through much suffering and trial, because suffering makes me a partake of the divine nature. So the more I suffer, the more I partake of the divine nature, growing in Christ. And this text, the text for your reference is uh, Acts 14, 22, 21 to 22. By much tribulation must we enter the kingdom. Now, having said that, I need to challenge you. Let's bring all of that to finance. Are you all happy that from the scriptures I've demonstrated that there are certain dispositions that God requires for kingdom entrance? The very first one is, what did Jesus say? Repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. What does repent mean? It's a change of mind, but it's also a change of mentality or it's a change of a way of thinking right a way you thought in a certain way and do you know repent is not just for the unsaved do you know there are more references in the bible where the word repent or repentance is addressed to believers than non-believers yeah what did god say to the church in revelation repent the church at was it ephesus repent and do the first works that's a message to the church. Paul encouraged the Corinthian church, repent. Now, I want to encourage you all. Are you ready to adjust your mind? Come on, talk to me. You see, I don't want a mind change that is momentary. I want a structural, internal reordering of your brain and thought processes that is permanent. Such that after this series... No one will ever have to ever encourage you to be faithful financially for the rest of your life. Why? I don't need encouragement. I don't need rebuke. I've altered and structured my thinking to fit God's way of doing things financially in and through His Word. That is what's going to happen to you. Amen? It's not just mind shift. It's an internal reordering of the construct of our thinking. Now, having said that, listen carefully. I need to present to you what God said to Israel in closing. We've got 15 minutes. I don't want to take too long because of time. Now, people, whenever they talk money in some sectors, the minister teaching it will either do so apologetically because he's too afraid to address financial issues. So we do it shyly or we do it with a sense of reluctance. 
I'm yet to inform you that I'm not going to do. Because I'm convinced of what God said about financial issues in his words. I need to say this up front. We are not, we're not presenting the series uh, apologetically. We're unapologetic about what we say. Why? We are convinced it is God's truth. It is God's in God's law. On the other hand, you go to the other end of the pendulum. Some preach it with ulterior motives in mind, and they only preach it to get rich personally, in terms of the leadership getting rich. I need to say this to all of you up front, that is not my agenda. Before God, I stand uh, examined by the Lord, that is not my agenda. My agenda in teaching this is so that you can come into your personal prosperity. My agenda in teaching you this is that you can come into your personal breakthrough financially. But it's going to depend on the observation, like I've just demonstrated, certain principles you need to, having entered, to enter more fully into. And once you observe those principles, the attendant associated blessing will be yours automatically, right? It will be yours. So we're not going to go to either of those two extremes. We are going to present kingdom economics positively, authoritatively, firmly, and in faith. And the truth you hear will set you free. And as I speak it, God's going to reorder and rewire your heart and your mind. Right? Who's ready for a mind rewiring? Yeah? God's going to rewire your brain. I'm not asking for repentance as in just a change of thought, but for a change of the wineskin of your mind. So you can, you're, you're permanently, permanently affected by these truths forever and forever. Now, um, what's the gentleman's name? Kelly Varner said the following concerning finances. And this is from his book, the priesthood is changing. Kelly Varney is a well, uh, he's deceased now, but well celebrated and hugely respected man of God and a theologian in his own right. If ever I saw a man, which according to Noel Woodruff's words about him, marinated in the word. If ever, who remembers Kelly? Come on. He's dead about a few, three, four years now. But Kelly Varner was a walking Bible. It's like everything that came out of Kelly's mouth was, do you know the book of Ruth that I love so much? Guess where I first heard the Colonel Truths from? Dr. Kelly Varner, the fire conference they had a few years. Donovan, you remember? They, I think it was at the ICC or somewhere, the 2000 or so, when they held it, and he came out and he preached the word without notes. He just, he just for all three days, and he, he spoke about the book of Ruth, and then I ordered his writings, and he sent it from the United States. It was just like a commentary on verse-by-verse verse commentary with, with cross-references about that thick just on the book of Ruth. And he's got a book like that for every book in the Bible. So there's a man that's well-studied, well-researched. Now he said the following about finances in the Bible. He said this. The Gospels contain more warnings against the misuse of money than any other subject. Secondly, one in every four, that's what, 25%, right? One in four, 25. One in every four verses in the book of Matthew, Mark and Luke deal with money. And I challenge you to test this. Thirdly, one in every six verses in the New Testament as a whole make reference to money in some way. One in every six. 
make reference to money. Fourthly, almost half of the parables of Jesus refer to money. Particularly, warnings against covetousness. The first apostle, number five, who fell was who? Judas. He sinned, why? Because of a love for money. He sold Jesus for money that he never lived to spend. Number six, the first sin in the early church concerned what? Money. Why did Ananias and Sapphira die? There was an inaccurate mindset and representation in as far as the giving of money was concerned. First sin in the, the early church was centered around financial issues. The sin of cinnamony. Everyone say cinnamony. Cinnamony is the English phrase. Concerns money. It's the assumption that one could buy gifts spiritually with money. And whose sin was that? Remember Simon the, the sorcerer? When he saw by the hands of the apostles, the Holy Ghost fell on people. He offered the apostles money. And the apostles said to him, you are in the gall of bitterness. And pray that the Lord would forgive you. Right? Listen carefully. I can go on and demonstrate outside of this. Like I said, people's destinies were determined either for the good or bad by how they handled finances. How they handled finances. Now go to Deuteronomy or chapter 15. Keep it open. Verse 5. Now, come on. Who's serious about this? This is still foundation. We haven't got to the principles yet. I'm trying to work your minds by the, by the power of the Holy Ghost. Right? Who's serious about this? Yeah? Now, listen carefully. What if you were an Israelite back then? Years ago. Right? You were an agriculturally based community, which Israel was. Right? Farming and then produce, and they lived off that. Do you know what God said to the nation of Israel? Listen carefully the following. And this I've gleaned from a seminar that Dr. Elijah Morgan spoke uh, yeah, sometime in Durban. But it's true, you can validate these facts from the Word of God. There's scriptures to prove all of this. Listen carefully. There was Israel, watch, and there were surrounding nations. What is Israel representative of? Us. The church. The surrounding nations are representative of the world or Babylon, like I spoke about Babylon last week. So Israel is in the world, but they're not part of the world system. They say, God, we want to live by your standards and your laws. Whatever is true for the world need not be necessarily true of us, but we will act in contradiction to what the world standards are. Now, how many, how many days in the week was Israel permitted to work for? Come on, talk to me. This is God's financial policy for a nation. <laughs> Work six days and rest on the seventh. The seventh day was the rest, the Sabbath. Everybody else in the surrounding nations are working seven days a week. But God says, Israel, don't be like them. I'm in rest, so operate my Sabbath. Yet God, in the law of Moses, was so strict about this. There was a death sentence to anybody that attempted to work. Okay? Then... That would persist for the whole year. So you go the whole year not working on every seventh day. Marvelous, right? But now you go one year like that, two years, three years, four years, five years, six years, 
at the end of the sixth year, God says, the seventh year, rest the land. Everybody take a rest. Our government should listen to that one. I don't want just public holidays, a day. I want a year holiday. You know, God has got an amazing system. God says, try my way and see what happens. Listen, God says, six, it's an amazing economy. Six years you are permitted to work, but in the seventh year, you'll give the land rest. And remember, from Leviticus 26, I read a scripture to you. God says, for in the sixth year, you'll produce enough for the seventh year, the eighth year, and the ninth year. God's got an amazing technology, right? Then God further says, in the seventh year, if any man has a slave, let him go. Free the man. If he wants to willingly and voluntarily still carry on being committed to you in terms of service, let him do so, but offer him that privilege. So listen to me. I'm, I'm going somewhere. Please, I need your concentration. You don't work on the seventh day cycle for the whole year. You do that for six years in the seventh year. You do the same practice for the whole year. You rest, give the land rest. In the 49th year, so seven times, seven. Now, seven times this is happening. God says it's reached perfection. You celebrate it and you don't work the land in the 50th year. The 50th year was the Jubilee, the year of Jubilee. So in that year, it was a two-year period where there was no work. Then God says, Nochal. To add to this, God says, whatever you guys produce, I want 10%. Give me a tithe, not of some, give me a tithe of everything you produce. Nochal. God says, on top of that, I want offerings. Wherein have you robbed me, declares the Lord, both in tithes and in offerings. Nochal. God says, apart from your tithes and offerings, there was a range of, of, of offerings Israel had to give for specific sacrifices. You say, okay, no, God says, God says, Nochal. If, any, if there's any kingdom project like the building of Moses' tabernacle or the building of Solomon's temple, God, the leader said, the people should give. Now, let's say you're an Israelite. You've got all these requirements. You look at the neighbor next door. Hey, the guy's working seven days a week. He's not giving tithes, offerings, nothing. He's enjoying all his life. You say, God, I think I'm going to go next door. <laughs> because they seem to be, your policies are so burdensome. Seems like you're doing everything in your power to keep me poor. Right? I get tax. I get 10,000 rand a month. Before I tax, I tie it to you. Then Saul still takes his tax away from me. The minister of finance. My buddy that doesn't know you only gets taxed. I'm double taxation. I'm in two realms. I'm in the world, not part of it, but I'm also in the kingdom. I must observe those laws. I must function by your requirements. God, I'm going to have zilch left to take care of my needs. Now, how many of you have felt like that? God, listen carefully. The Bible says, do not let this world squeeze you and conform you into its way of thinking. Yes. You see, if you think like that, you don't know your father. Yes. Tell you never you have a father. Yes. God says to Israel, let me read the text to you, if you only, yes it, if you only listen obediently to the voice of the Lord your God 
and observe carefully all these commandments which I am commanding you today. Next verse. The Lord your God will bless you as He promised you. And you will lend. Notice what God says. You will not be shortchanged. You can have enough even to lend. You will not be the borrowers. Don't get envious of the world. It's a, please brethren, hear me. It's a mindset change. As a man thinks in his heart, so easy. Right? As a man thinks in his heart, so easy. And I want to encourage you, the moment you say, God, there's an eye of my understanding still blind to this financial reality. I have entered your kingdom, I'm saved. But that eye, that department of my life needs, and I'm telling you, I'm giving you not just grace, illumination by God's word and the courage to obey him. God says, test me. And notice what it says further here. Just for the tape, this is Deuteronomy 15, verse 5 and 6. The latter part says, you will lend and you will not. You will not borrow and you will rule over many nations, but they will not rule over you. They will not rule over you. One more verse, Deuteronomy 28, verse 1. Quickly, then we're going to pray. Deuteronomy 28 and verse 1. It shall be that if you hearken or you diligently obey the Lord your God and be careful to do what? To do all His commandments which I command you today, the Lord your God will set you high above the nations of the earth. Listen carefully. Financial breakthrough is not an event. Financial breakthrough is a process of obedience. If you're looking for a quick fix, you come to the wrong place. If you're looking for a momentary breakthrough, you've come to the wrong place. What I'm trying to get you into your structure is, before every one of us leaves this door, I'm going to say this prophetically to us, this congregation is going to be rich financially. That I know. You said, Randolph, how can you be so confident? Two reasons. Two prophets said that to us, independent of each other. The ability to manage huge, huge, huge amounts of money. I have the authority of God's word also concerning these things. But you can have prophecies and promise blessings in the word, but unless you position yourself for them, it will never work out. We were discussing last night uh, with Rakim about we're going to get back to Esper. Remember Esper? Esper was sound business and initiative development. OG did the original logo fast, remember? And we're going to start that soon. And we'll get guys in here to speak about business. Oh, by the way, I forgot to mention this. A key component of this series is going to be work ethic and industry. Because if you don't work, brother, hey, nothing will come to you. The scriptures are very clear. And we, you're going to see a wisdom come to your efforts. And for some of you with business initiatives, it's going to grow to the next level. All I'm saying is great, great things in store for many of us. But if you want the breakthrough, you have to submit, say, God, come hell or high water. I will observe my first fruit offering. I'll, I'll honor you with my first fruit. I will give you 10% of all my gross earnings without flinching, without even thinking. It's the first thing I do. Added to that, I will determine then the percentage of the offering I give to you. Now, everyone say, be bold. Come on, say, be bold. 
I want, I want to encourage the church to be vigilant over the next two months. You know why? Every demonic spirit in hell is going to come against you. You know why? I've, I'm talking from experience. I've never encountered more warfare, spiritual warfare, from anything I teach than when I teach financial issues. It's like the devil's come out of every corner. It's just like they're waiting for someone to speak these things and they come out to attack. But let me just say this. You do not be phased. God wants to bless you. You see, should Israel take God at his word? Yeah, they should. Do you know the only time Israel went into uh, spiritual decline was when they failed to observe God's laws? Yeah. Yeah. And they, they tried to do it your way. Now, I want to ask you a simple question. You've tried to do it your way for too long. And look where it's got you. You've tried it your way. And look where you are. All I'm suggesting is give God a chance. It's the only time in Scripture we say this, I challenge you, do it how I would do it. Right? Oh, by the way, i got a watch. Someone blessed me, right? Gave the watch away in the car last week. Someone came in and said, well, there's a watch for you. You will never be shortchanged. Yeah. And I gave away that expensive fossil watch to a brother there. Right? God said, the Lord said, not your watch, my watch. You're not the owner. You're the steward. I own it. I give you management over it. So if, if I say release it, you must release it. Hallelujah. You release it. And you know, we were, we were so many financial, we're just giving. You know, I'm practicing giving. You want to observe a three-day fast? What about three days of giving? You want to observe a 40-day fast? How about 40 days of giving? Give away something every day. Practice generosity, right? Just, just, just give, just give. Come on, tell them what gives. <laughs> just say give. Come on, give. Practice. I told you about the beggar that we have, right? There's a guy there. He rattles our gates, irritates us because uh, the noise, the whole neighbors here, he bangs it. Old man. And however busy we are, we stop, we make sandwich, and they will tea or juice or whatever, and we'll bring it down to him. Because who knows it's an angel of the Lord, according to the scripture, right? Practice generous giving. They just come, things just start to happen when you live generously, right? You don't look for it, things will come to you. All I'm saying is, brethren, Give God a chance. Yes, yes. Give, just, just blindly say, I'm going to blindly obey. If I die, I must die, but I would rather die obeying God. Yes. But I know you won't die because God will never, ever fail you. Yes, yes. Amen. God is too gracious. God will never, ever fail you. Hallelujah. Amen. Amen. Pray. Slip up our hands. God will never fail you. I don't care what your need is and what your present financial situation is I know God will never fail you if I put your hands down before we pray you see Matthew 6 says do not be concerned for your life what you shall eat drink or wear look at the birds of the field they don't they don't what they say they don't sow but they your father takes good care of them if you being but you're much more important than them right and God says he will take care of you right and how much more he said will your father everyone say your father how much more will your father take care? What I want you to do, and we're going to do this this week and next week, right? Listen carefully. If you are going to obey, obey kingdom economic financial principles, you're going to do so out from the revelation that God is your father and you are his son. I want to say this to all of you. Your father will never let you down. Your father will never forsake you. Your father loves you. Right? 
God said, the birds of the air don't sow, but your, your, God is taking care of them. And if he so clothed the fields, the flowers in the field, the birds of the air, he takes care. How much more will your father? One of the parables says that sons in the kingdom, remember the parable of weed and the wheat, remember? And the, 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 the weed were the sons of the, of the evil one. And God said, but the weeds, the good seed, are the sons of the kingdom and they have entrance into the kingdom of their father. Everyone say the kingdom of the father. In other words, I've been translated out from darkness into the kingdom. Colossians says of his dear son. That text in Matthew 13 says, kingdom of their father. So as a son in the kingdom of your father, if you observe kingdom principles, your father will take care of you. But it must start with the mindset that, yes, God is my daddy. Say it with me, God is my daddy. Tell your neighbor next to you, daddy will never let you down. Yeah? Daddy will never fail you. Papa. Papa. But I want you to read this and accentuating. The children can stand if you can't see. The children, you must see this. I want all the kids to be a part of this. We're going to read these statements together, but I want you to accentuate the underlined bolded portions. Amen. Are you ready? Come on, let's say it together. Number one. God is my father. I am his son. 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 Now say it together. God is my father. I am his son. Come on, stand with me and say it again. Say, one, two, three. God is my father. I am his son. Lift your hands and say it again. Come on. God is my father. I am his son. Come on, say it again. God is my father. I am his son. Lift your hands to him. Father, from that revelation that you are our father, we are your sons, we make a, re a resolve today that we are willing to obey you. We realize that your policies economically are not burdensome. But they're designed to take away dependence on our own ingenuity and strength and to put our eyes and our dependence fully on you. Today, we lift up our eyes to the hills. From whence our help does come, our help comes from you, the Lord, the maker of heaven and earth. I thank you that because you are our father and we are your sons, you will never let us down. You will never see us destitute. Thank you, O oh God, that the righteous and their seed, your word says, will never beg for bread. For I've never seen the righteous forsaken, nor his descendants or children begging. I stand on that promise today. I declare this over all of our children here today, Father. I declare over all our children, our descendants will not be beggars in their time. They will not be destitute in their time. 
I declare that they will have more than enough for their own needs and wants and have sufficient to bless people with in the name of the Lord. Come on, say with me. My descendants will never lack. Say again. My descendants will never lack in Jesus' name. Father, let this anointing and grace now come upon us in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. I bless your people now with grace to give, with courage to give. We've repented before you as we've listened to your word. We've done so, Lord. We've adjusted our mindsets already, God. Now give us grace. May grace be poured upon every single one of you in the name of the Lord. May you leave here with great courage, great confidence that he who has called you is a father. He who has expected you to do these things is a father who loves you that will never leave you nor forsake you. If he takes care of the birds, how much more will he take care of you? In Jesus' name, amen and amen.